This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast, brought to you by BetRivers.com. You can find it, of course, at BetRivers.com and it uh on Apple or Spotify or wherever you uh, go to get your uh, podcasts. Um, busy weekend in sports. Let's start with the Rangers, who bounced back yesterday. Um, it's still going to be a tough series. I don't think there's any question. Uh, this is a Carolina team that clearly uh, is going to be in every game, uh, and it looks like every game is going to be as tight as the first three games have been. But it was good to see the Rangers uh, get goals from the guys they need to get goals from to have a chance. For the most part, their goaltender uh, played very well. I know he let in a soft goal, but you know what? The Rangers uh, continue to win. And the one thing about Carolina is they haven't been good on the road in the postseason. So maybe that continues and the Rangers get a chance to knock this series up. I, I think... It's going to be a tall order for them to get through this series and win it. But you know what? At least they're back in the series, and uh, it's fun to see them, you know, playing this deep into the season. So um, from that standpoint, uh, a, a positive. You know, no, you want to get crazy yet. You're not going to get crazy until you get the series tied up at 2-2. But at least they took the step in the right direction yesterday. Uh, the PGA on – when it started, I gave you the number one player in the world. I went chalk and picked Scheffler to win. I gave you Zalatoris as my long shot at 38-1. to one. He almost got there, obviously losing in a playoff. It was a wild couple of days there, and the win was an enormous factor. I mean, usually the wind is not that big a factor in these golf tournaments. It was an enormous factor here, and really – Scheffler, along with Rahm and Murakawa, the one, two, three in the world, caught the worst of it because they got it Thursday afternoon and then they got it bad, really bad on Friday morning. And then on Friday afternoon was the one time in the week where the wind didn't blow and that's when everybody fired all these crazy scores. And other than that, everyone struggled with the course the rest of the week. But you have to feel for uh, for Mito uh, Pereira, who, you know, I hadn't, I didn't know anything about him. I don't even remember seeing him play before this weekend. Ranked the hundredth in the world from Chile. There he was. He had this tournament in his hands. He goes to 18 with a one stroke lead. All he's got to do is get a, a par and he can crown himself a PGA champion. Now, listen, 18 is a very tough hole. We know that. And he puts the ball in the water. He double bogeys. Now we get Thomas, who came from seven back and now is going to meet Zal Torres in the playoff. They both did their job in the playoff. Thomas did it a little better. He drove the par four, which was a big factor. And he winds up winning the 
playoff, and Thomas now comes all the way back from all the controversy that he had a couple of years ago. He wins his second major, and that's the big jump. You know, a lot of guys win one major, but when you start to win multiple majors, it puts you in a different place. Now Thomas has won two majors. He's won two PGAs, and that puts him in a very, very different place as far as the pecking order. Uh, He clearly now, and I think everyone saw him as one of the best players in the world, but now that he's got a second major, it puts him up there with guys like Kepka and Spieth and Rory and guys like that. So that second one does brand you a little bit. So it, it, it's a distinct positive there. Uh, a word on Scheffler. You know, he had a weird second round. He pawed all nine holes on the first nine, really just missed birdieing two or three of those holes. I mean, came within, you know, just inches of birdie in two or three of those holes, and then had a nightmare back nine where he just could not get his putter going in the wind, hit a couple of drives that put him in a bad place, and wound up shooting six over par on the back nine. He he came in bogey, double bogey to miss the cut. I don't think he would have done anything on the weekend anyway from where he was sitting. You had his score by Friday to have a chance to win this thing. And he didn't do that. Thomas did. And then Thomas kind of fell out of it, then came roaring back. But I don't have any issues with Scheffler. It wasn't a bad missed the cut. It was a weird missed the cut. So I don't feel any worse about where he is right now. He had won four of his last eight to get to number one in the world. He'd won the Masters. I think he'll be a big factor the rest of the season going forward. Now, The other question is, will you see Tiger Woods again this year? We watch them limp around the course. We watch things get bad late in round one. He looked better in round two and looked like, hey, give him credit for making the cut. He really gutted it out to make the cut down the the the, uh, final five or six holes. He played that second round on uh, on the par, and then he went out in the wind, and shot 79, and you could tell he was distraught by that and then didn't even finish the tournament. Um, He's got some issues. Now, I don't think you're going to see him in the U.S. Open. Sounds like he wants to try and go to St. Andrews for the British Open. St. Andrews is his favorite course, but we don't even know if he's going to be able to do that. Maybe he does, but I think there's a big difference between Tiger playing in these tournaments and Tiger being a factor in these tournaments, and I think he has to make a decision is showing up in these majors enough for him? Does he get enough out of that now in terms of the applause and the adulation and just being involved in the sport? I don't see him as a factor in these tournaments. So it'll be interesting to see what he comes, because this might be the best that Tiger can ever get that leg to, and it's not very good because he was clearly in a lot of pain when he was playing in the PJ this weekend. He was in a lot of pain. It was obvious the kind of pain he was in. And then he goes out and has a nightmare of 79, one of the worst rounds he's ever shot in a major championship. There were a lot of guys who had rough rounds on the win this weekend, but when you're shooting 79, it's kind of hard to take when you're Tiger Woods. So it's going to be interesting to see what 
what happens here going forward. I don't think you'll see him in the U.S. Open. I don't think it's enough time. Well, he'll make a decision on the British, and then I think he's got to make some decisions going forward as to whether or not this is enough for him. The Yankees finally finally lost a couple of games. Now, listen, they weren't going to continue to win on the level they were going on. I mean, it was amazing what they were doing. And even it's weird to lose a doubleheader when your starting pitchers go out and give up one run in 13 innings. I've talked about Chapman a lot. I've told you I don't trust Chapman. And the Yankees, I think, in a season where clearly at 29 and 12, they're off to a phenomenal start. They have a five-game lead with the 29 and 12 start. The Mets are 28 and 15 and have an eight-game lead. So it's not like the Yankees have shaken away from the competition. They haven't just, like, run away and hidden. They're a good series from being right there. But the Yankees are going to have to make a decision. Is there another arm in that bullpen that they could trust to join or replace Chapman as the closer? Otherwise, they are going to go into the postseason with Chapman. And he is going to be a massive question mark. The other thing with the Yankees is they've gotten such top-heavy performances. Judges start 15 homers, 31 RBIs, you know, all the gaudy numbers that he has. Stanton, even Rizzo, what they're getting with the power numbers from those guys, the pitching they're getting, the amazing starting pitching they've gotten in a lot of spots. But, you know, you realize they've done this and Gallo's given them nothing. And Hicks has given them nothing. And he's just dreadful with men in scoring position. And Torres, who's had some big, big game-winning hits, has not been that good. And Higgy's been awful after a huge spring training. So it's amazing that the Yankees have done this. But they've done it with a really top-heavy lineup with three or four guys. And you can sprinkle in, obviously, the very, very talented, uh, you know, um, Donaldson, who's done pretty well, or the guys you can expect to be there at the top of the lineup and do what they do all the time. There's guys you can count on. I mean, there's no question about that. There's guys you can count on all the time. But there's too many holes in this lineup going forward where – you know, sooner or later, they are going to have to get some consistency or they're just going to have to give other guys a chance to play. I would do that. There's no reason not to do that. You know, guys that you can count on, and you're going to have those five or six guys led by Judge that you can absolutely count on all the time. And you're going to put plenty of guys there, and some guys haven't even gotten off well yet where you know they're going to get better. I expect Torres to get more consistent. And Donaldson. And even LeMayu. But you can't live with three or four guys who just do nothing in the lineup day in and day out. That's too many. Especially when you talk about playing big games. You know, the start is terrific. 
It's put a lot of smiles on Yankee fans' face. It's quieted a lot of critics for Cashman and Boone. But there's still some things you look at this team and say, hey, this concerns me. This concerns me. Everything is not perfect. Now for the Mets, they continue to go on their merry way. But let's be honest. They are going to have to, with an offense that is, at best, extremely inconsistent, they are going to have to get by to July without their two big guns in the starting rotation. Hopefully, hopefully both DeGrom and Scherzer will be back sometime in July. If it's late July, it's late July. The Mets have given themselves a very big cushion here. They have an eight-game lead. They've gotten a lot of good contributions from guys in that rotation and really from unusual places. They need to be a far better team against left-handed pitching. We know that. And they're going to need a bat. They'll get it. But the key to their season long-term has got to be the health of the one-two guys in that rotation. And I don't know when DeGrom's coming back. Scherzer, you would figure late July at the latest. And right now, the Mets have not had any problem just going out there and getting good pitching performances and and getting enough wins that they have not had that slump that, let's be honest, we've all been looking for that slump to come their way. It hasn't happened. And nobody else in the East, nobody else in the East has played that well. So they haven't had to worry about it. You know? Nobody else in that division's even 500. I mean, both the Phillies and the Braves are three games under 500. The Mets will see the Phillies next Friday. Phillies have been up and down, I mean, at best. Braves have plenty of issues. So the division has not been what, so the Mets have been able to take advantage of it, and they've taken advantage of it in every way. An eight-game lead at this time is extraordinary. When you realize what the Yankees have done and the record they have, or even the Dodgers, I mean, you could be the Dodgers, be 27 and 13, and not even have a lead. Be staring at teams that have the same record you have, like San Diego. So the bottom line is they've got a nice cushion that helps them get through this time where it should have been really devastating that they had to go this far without DeGrom and then have Scherzer go out like he did. They've been able to overcome that in a very big way. To the Preakness, uh, Brad gave it to you cold. Hey, let's be honest. We both like early voting. Uh, I thought he had the right style to win this race. I wasn't high on epicenter winning. I thought he hung a little bit more than Brad did in the in the uh, derby. He ran a solid race. He's got a chance to become the second horse in Triple Crown history. Now, I don't know if he'll go to the Belmont or not yet. We'll find out. We have 20 days to the Belmont. I don't know if Epicenter is going to go, but only one horse has ever finished 
second in all three triple crown races. And that horse was a tremendous horse by the name of Alidar, who lost three races by a combined two lengths. And later on, he got a, a, a measure of vindication against the firms who had beat him in all three of those races, in the classic races that they were. Great, epic races. If you've never seen them, go back and look at the affirmed Ali Dar races. They're some of the classic races in racing history. But he is the only three-year-old to ever finish second in the Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes. Now, Epicenter has finished second to different horses, but finished second in both races. So he has a chance to repeat that performance. Not what he's looking to do, but still. You can do worse than have a colt that is in the money in all three triple crown races. I mean, it's in, you know, anyone would like to own a horse that would be able to do that. The Belmont's going to be a very different race. You're going to get a lot of horses that went in the Derby, including most likely the Derby winner and some new shooters. So you're going to get a very competitive field in the Belmont. We'll see who from the Preakness, including early voting. I'm not sure early voting goes in the Preakness, in the, in the, uh, in the Belmont. My first reaction would be he doesn't. But let's see what happens. And we'll see if Epicenter makes the dance. I would think he would, but we haven't had a confirmation on that yet as he tries to make a little history by, not in the best of ways, but still, hey, If you were going to have a horse, like I said, that did that, he'd have earned a whole bunch of money, and he's got to be a very nice horse to do that. But the race went according to form, and Brad gave it to you cold right across the board. I mean, so, listen, it wasn't – you got a generous price for the win. 1340 was a good price. If you didn't like Epicenter to win, the other horse was early voting. There was only two horses to win the race, and it was a two-horse race going in. And if he didn't love Epicenter, early voting was a very generous price. There weren't any other generous prices handed out in terms of, you know, exotic bets. But 1340 was a good price on early voting. We got game four in the NBA this evening. We know now that the Warriors are going to be waiting in the wings. And with their firepower... They will pose a threat to no matter who survives this Eastern Conference final. I was stunned by the Celtic performance. Really shocked by the Celtic performance in game three. A nightmare for Tatum. 23 turnovers. And after them opening the big lead, the Heat, you know, gutting it out without Butler. You know, got that big basket. When it got to 93-92, Hero, who did not have a big offensive night, they only had eight points, made that basket, that, that three, that solidified, put them back in front to stay. That was the biggest basket of the game. I think there was 240 left when he made it. Uh, that was by far, by far the biggest basket. I mean, Adebayo had a great game, really toughed it out. And, and that's what, you know, that's what the Heat did. The Heat came out, they just imposed the will, they were more physical, 
They were more tenacious. They got something out of Lowry, which was big considering the Butler injury. And injuries are going to play a big factor in this game this evening. So you're going to have to wait and see who's playing and who's not. Tatum, I think, is going to be okay. We don't know about Smart. We don't know about uh, Butler. Uh, You know, you expect Lowry to play now, but the injuries are going to play a major factor in this. And you would expect the Celtics off a nightmarish performance to bounce back. But this looks like now that the Warriors are going to have to cool their heels for a while. Maybe they don't win game four. Maybe the Mavs get one and they go back and win in five. But we know the Warriors are going to be waiting in the wings and they're going to get some time off because this Celtic Heat series looks like it's headed for seven games. I'd be surprised if it's not. We'll come back and get some emails right after. Email the Mike Francesa podcast. Drop Mike a note at mikefrancesapodcast at gmail.com. All right, we tell you if you send us some uh, emails, we will. Uh, Answer a couple here and there when we got a chance during the week. Send them to Mike Francesa Podcast at gmail.com. Mike Francesa Podcast at gmail.com. All right, this is from Steve. It seems like the gap between good teams and bad teams in baseball has never been wider. Only in May, and it feels like only 10 teams in the league actually matter. Do you think Major League Baseball has to do something to create more parity uh, for the sake of competition? Not really, no. You're not going to get a salary cap in baseball. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen with the strength of the union. Uh, every sport goes through this. Some years it's more pronounced. It looks a little more pronounced in baseball, but you know what? Here's the bottom line of baseball. You can't predict in baseball, year in, year out, who's going to win the World Series. You can't. The playoffs are wide open. The Braves weren't the best team last year. They weren't close. And look what happens. The bottom line is, you can tell me you know when the season starts that the Dodgers are going through the postseason, that the uh, Yankees and the Astros are going through the postseason. We know that. You might even be able to pick three or four, two or three more that are going to the postseason. But that doesn't mean any of them are going to win or even make the World Series. Look at the Yankees. The Yankees are in the postseason every single year in baseball. They haven't been to a World Series in forever. So I, I don't worry about that. Now, you would like to see, and baseball has tried to remedy economically the haves and haves not so that they could get the money. But you can't make these teams spend it. And you can't make them spend it wisely. But they go through cycles. Look, and Oakland just went through a good cycle. You know now they broke it down. They're going to go through a bad cycle. It happens. But I, I don't worry about the, the gap. I really don't. Jack in Connecticut, Hicks has been bad, and we all know Gallo needs to go. I'd like to see... Uh, Merwin in the lineup on a more regular basis, leaving my mind a clear role for an experienced backup outfielder. Uh, is it wrong to want good old Brett Gard in the back? I don't think the Yankees think Gardy has enough to give them what they want, and I don't know if Gardy wants to come back and just sit on the bench. Um, I agree with you. I've never been a Hicks fan, and he's just been atrocious with men on base. I mean, with runners in scoring position, I think he's like two for 20 this year. I don't even know if he's driven in a run. 
and Gallo, I've said many times, you know, Gallo's going to fall into the occasional home run. We know that. He's got power. But when a guy's striking out 30% of the time or more and is, you know, his, his OPS is, you know, under six. I mean, Gallo's got an OPS of 591. Hicks has got an OPS of 591. Higgy's down in the fours. And Torres is even in the sixes. And they've been able to have put together this kind of record. They clearly have been carried by guys, obviously, like Judge and Stanton and Rizzo's big home runs and stuff like that, and obviously the pitching. But sooner or later, they do have to get more consistent bats into the outfield, and I think they will. I, I don't think that's a problem, and I do think it's an easy thing to remedy, both in terms of going out and getting an outfielder if you need one or plucking one from the organization. I do not think that's a big issue. Uh, with the injury, this is Ken and Babylon. With the injuries to DeGrom and now Scherzer, could uh, Madison Bumgarner be someone the Mets could look to bring in? Well, right now they don't have to do anything. And like I said, we've all been waiting for this losing streak that would send them into a, a bit of a chaotic swirl where they would start to make moves. They got an eight-game lead. They got a heck of a cushion, and they've been getting good performances by the guys they send to the mound. That's really what it's about. The Mets have won a lot of games without a lot of offense, especially without a lot of offense against left-handed pitching, without Lindor doing well. And they find themselves, you know, with a 28-15 record and an eight-game lead. So they don't have to do anything right now. They can just sit and wait. But they have the wherewithal to go out and get a starter if they need him. I do think they'll go out and aid the bullpen by going to get, you know, somebody's closer who they want to get rid of, who will come in and be an eighth-inning guy for the Mets. I think that'll happen. And I do think the Mets will go out and get another bat. I think they absolutely have to go out and get another bat. I think the Mets need to first find out exactly what they're going to get out of Escobar this year. We know they're not going to be able to improve the catching from an offensive standpoint because nobody has catches that hit. So that's not going to happen. But they can do it at other positions, and they will. This is from Ralph. How do you feel about today's NBA? I grew up in the 90s, and I don't like today's NBA as it's been practically reduced to a three-point shooting contest. No question about it. Um, I don't like there's, – there's, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of talented individuals in the NBA. There always are. But what has gone on now – with the three-point shot and the reliance on the three-point shot and to see a team go out in a playoff game and shoot 55 threes and to realize there's games where the other team's just going to get hot from three. I mean, the Mavs have done that at times in the playoffs where they've just gone out and overwhelmed you by hitting threes. 
And yes, there is a place in this league right now for a guy who can just be a catch-and-shoot guy. He can be a very valuable performer in this league. He doesn't have to do anything else. He just has to be a catch-and-shoot guy. And I do think there is an over, over-saturation and an over-emphasis now placed on the three-point goal. I don't think there's any question about it. Do I think it's hurt the game? I do. Has it brought, you know, great fame and fortune to guys like Curry? Yes, it has. Who become so lethal because of their ability to make I mean, he also is a very talented ball handler to go with the fact that he's one, you know, the greatest pure long-distance shooter we've ever seen. He also is a, you know, terrific ball handler. But, yes, I do agree that the game has been, I think the word would be overwhelmed by the three-point goal to its detriment. I do feel that way in a big way. Keep the emails coming. We'll catch you later in a week. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.